And I am here today to bring some awesome stories to you. So, hey, jump on in. This is Facebook Live, and you can uh, be a part of what I do. Uh, we love, I love, I don't know, I said we, we love, <laughs> I did it again. I love when you pop in, give me random questions, help guide the conversations. Uh, just hit the wrong button because it is Facebook and, you know, buttons are easy to hit that are incorrect. So uh, definitely I uh, love when people send the questions in, when they jump in and, and add the comments and those thumbs up and those hearts and everything else. Today I am tasked with doing a working versus personal relationships. Now, this is something that was asked way back when, when I was on a Success Freaks. And, you know, it, it, I can't remember what I said then. It was, it was fine and cool and dandy and all that jazz. Uh, but I've, I've been really thinking about how now I really run a business with Giant Size Team Up Network. And, and on top of that, I run uh, my own personal stuff through Charles McFall LLC, where I do all my hosting of trivia and karaoke. And those different things. So uh, it, it's become a lot more complicated of, of a, a topic for me today. So uh, definitely before we do all that, though, I want to tell you how to reach out to me, how to get those questions in, how to interact with me. Never quite know when I'm going to record the show. So like Nicole, if you want to be here live, just follow the Rock Out of Podcasting page, subscribe to it, however it is you have to do to get that notification to pop up that I'm live now because I've been, I've been unable to really lock in a good day and time, mostly because I guess I'm not ready to commit to a day and time. I like the free flowing of, hey, now is a good time to let's sit down and talk about something. And... Also, you know, the problem with Facebook is sharing it out and doing those kind of things. You have to do it while you're doing the show. And that that's a little frustrating. But on the same time, more people find me naturally on Facebook than I did ever on YouTube or anywhere else. So, uh, yeah, let me about work. Oh, shit. All right. There we go. <laughs> uh, but the way you can contact me is rgop at charlesmcfall.com is the email. You can send that in facebook.com forward slash rock out of podcasting, of course, is where the show is live on Facebook whenever I do it. And youtube.com uh, is Charles McFall, I believe, or uh, CKYMNSTR, Cookie Monster with no real vowels except the Y. C-K-Y-M-N-S-T-R. Uh, but just look up Rock Out of Podcasting or Charles McFall on Facebook and you'll find it. Of course, rockoutofpodcasting.com has a contact form there. It has a speak pipe. You can call in your question, 90 seconds. Good and done. I know Nicole has given me a question before. Laura DePooter, who shows up a lot, has given me tons of questions. Phil Ramos uh, has been reaching out and, and those kind of things. But today, 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 today is working versus personal relationships. And that is a, an interesting thing, right? It seems like it could be cut and dry. It seems like bosses are bosses and employees are employees. But that that putting up that wall is a very, very detrimental thing to do, in my opinion. Now, I have nothing to drink today, by the way. I had barbecue for lunch, so I'm a little burpy. And I don't have my, I love my coffee cup. Even if it's just water or something else in it, I love having the motion and the weight of something to hold on to. And I don't. So I'm going to fidget a lot today. I'm going to. Do a lot of hand motions and whatnot. So, all right, let's 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 talk about growing up in the church, right? My dad's the preacher. So this is where working versus personal relationships always got a little shady for me. Uh, 
There's no kill switch for awesome. <laughs> I like it. Uh, but it, it, because, okay, so most people who go to a church, and I can, I've done this, right? You can disappear in the church or whatever. You can go in, sit in the back, never talk to the preacher, get whatever it is you're looking for out of the church, out of the church. You can go in and try to get in the preacher's face and get that connection and make those meetings to, to be with them. When you're just average Joe, right? When you're just a person, that, that's easy. When you grow up in the church and your father's the preacher, you can't just disappear. It's my daddy's the preacher and you know, my mom's the preacher's wife and, and does this or that with music and blah, blah, blah. And so it's, it's very much, okay, there's that line. But then it's your dad and it's your mom and, and you go home. And those things really messed up working relationships for me because there was no way to ever really separate those two things for me. It was just that's the person and that's the problem we have today in society, I think, is one hand wants to say, okay, the boss is the boss, and you don't socialize with the employees because you have to be able to make the tough decision and never play favorites, this and that, the other. Well, that leaves you out in the cold. That leaves you a cold shoulder. That leaves you non-connected to your boss, non-connected to your employees. So while I think good bosses can indeed still have that wall up and yet find that connection and and you know maybe they throw the superiors under the bus saying hey it's out of my hands i don't know it's just never how i work now just because i'm in an office with you doesn't mean we're friends or anything like that i am nice to everybody i am am uh friendly with everybody i i like a good friendly atmosphere i like to have fun if you piss me off, and I don't mean, oh, you did something and I got angry. I mean, if you just disrespect my boundaries and push yourself on me all the time, that will change the environment in an office. So I've worked on the ambulance many, many years. I started off working in a grocery store when I was 15 years old, uh, 15, 16 years old, somewhere in there, and was a bag boy and could work during the day because I was homeschooled, so I didn't have that school restriction so I could get more hours and whatnot. And I remember it was so confusing because the bosses would be friendly, but they'd turn around and stab you in the back. You know, uh, there's one particular story where it was back in the early 90s. So there was pricing goes. You had to put stickers on everything to have a price. And it was a bullshit grocery store. It was. It was this local own thing that had six stores like that's a big thing oh he's got six stores in the area they're all shit who cares if he has six stores? they're always overpriced and they're racist as fuck all they were they were super racist and it, it was just poorly run business it was shit it was shit and but we had to tag everything with prices well they issue you uh, a pricing gun and this and that and, other, and some other guys in the store who kissed up to the bosses and the bosses liked them drew designs and all kind of stuff on their guns and and it was all good so once that flew by me thinking hey this is a real world scenario where everything's equal and and if he gets it's a if he gets to do it i get to do it i all i did was spray paint mine black straight up black didn't damage it didn't hurt it just changed it from a god-awful piss yellow to a black and i will angie i will tell you how i feel about it so 
<laughs> uh, later on, I got in trouble for something, and they tried to, and they never said anything about it. I mean, it went weeks and weeks and weeks with the gun being that way, and they they decided they didn't like me. They so I did something, whatever. I don't I don't remember what happened. Uh, I have no idea if I did something wrong, and they were just trying to push me out, or if they just got pissed off. But all of a sudden, it was, and you're gonna have to pay for that gun because you damaged it. It's like. It's not damaged. And unfortunately, I did have to get my parents to come back me up because I was a teenager going up against grown men who were assholes and who just wanted to dick me over. And I had no way of, of, of dealing with my own shit on my, you know, I, I didn't know how to handle that. So uh, I, I remember them going in there and I pointed out, you know, he still has a, a gun that's drawn on. He still has a gun. That's, I mean, these things are, are done. I mean, they drew. Stuff that was was like pot leaves and stuff, stuff that these owners didn't or these managers had no idea what they were, but they were actually vulgar, you know, destructive things to put on a gun in public at a family owned grocery store. Uh, all I did was spray paint mine black, and and yeah, it became a, a, a fight. And ultimately, that's when I first decided, uh, personal puns. I hate you, Laura, so much, and I hate the way I type sometimes and I need to slow down and, and read my descriptions. Ah, anyway, <laughs> yeah. I learned then for myself personally, I never want to be where I'm not wanted. I always want to be where I am. My skills are recognized or where I can, you know, be taught things where maybe you see that I have a raw potential, but I could do more and you can help out with that. Those kind of things. And because these guys, I just hated that place. Did not uh, want to be on the. Damn it to hell. Now you're going to make me edit this thing like mid run and because you're pointing out Lars pointing out. Just hated that place. Um, Did not. Volume came up. Uh, Lars pointing out all of my mistakes. All right, fine. Want. There we are. Save. Okay. There it goes. And it didn't refresh. Ha 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 ha. Oh well, I fixed it in the run. See, see, you ladies, Angie and Laura, you guys, you guys are, are trouble. <laughs> so that was very much a classic case of I run the business, and and God, man, see, it just made for a bad situation because they never actually connected with anybody. Everybody was disposable. Everybody was replaceable. If they liked you, if they liked you, they would give you privileges, right? They would give you special treatment on the schedule, and they would let you do the cool jobs or whatever. If they didn't like you, they, it was very obvious. And the thing is, they would talk to you. You'd try. I, I would always try to to connect with them and talk to them, and and you know, they'd try to make me laugh at racist jokes. And that's one thing I did call them out on when I finally laughed. I was like. You're racist assholes. <gasps> How dare you? Do, 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 do. I'm like, no, you sit here and make fun of him and call him the N-word, you know, behind his back. And I'm doing it in front of the black. There's one one black guy who worked for the store, and he'd been there forever, and he's an older guy. And, and he was never going to be assistant manager, not even any kind of responsibility. He was basically a head stock boy, and he'd been there for years. And it's just, it was just bad. It was. And I went on. I remember I've worked in I have worked in fast food places. I have worked at Walmart. I have worked just about every kind of job you can have out there. Definitely all kind of retail, all kind of help service oriented places. 
the worst one I ever worked at was a skating rink where uh, I, I got stuck in the skate room. And again, that dude was racist as shit. But of course, I grew I did grow up in some small towns and in Georgia. But this was Athens. And this was Athens in the 90s. And that's what really surprised me about the racism from 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 the two people who were the most racist was this really old white guy with with thick glasses who held his jaw kind of weird and talked kind of weird and and like you're you're making fun of people because their skin color you're re- you're stupid I mean you you look stupid you talk stupid the other guy who was really racist that I worked with was a forty something year old guy with a perm in the nineties perm and braces and i'm like you're a grown-ass man what the hell do you have braces for you have you have no reason to be racist to anybody because look at your shit you look like shit man i guess i'm not saying it's okay to be racist if you have your shit together (laughs) that's not that is not the flip side to that coin but he had no working relationship with anybody it was very awkward, very weird. Just, just, just go do this thing, and just go be in there. And and you know, I pay you to be here, so you need to be like burning the tips of the shoelaces because the shoelaces are nylon, so you could burn the tips and they melt and and stop fraying and whatnot. And you need to you know, make sure you're always boring as shit. Oh, and it was against everything that I'm about. Where haven't I worked? I've never worked on a horse farm, Laura. <laughs> I never, uh, 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 never. I don't know. There's a few things I've never actually fully done, but I've, I've, I have picked cotton. I have picked corn and all kind of vegetables. Watermelon. I have hoed the weeds out, weeds out of a watermelon field. I have tossed hay bales. I have done all kinds of jobs that I wish you never doing. I delivered newspapers. So, anyways, it was it was a bad situation where everybody hated this guy and i lasted a very short amount of time there because i just hated it because like okay i'm a people person and you stick me in behind this tiny little window in this room all by myself that killed my soul (laughs) shut up laura that killed my soul but at night the weekends when people come in you know getting to talk to people and hand out skates and helping people i came alive you know that was my thing that was what i enjoyed doing and then when when i'd see white people hanging around i mean doing the, the rules were clear no leaning on the walls no hang no just coming and hanging out you've got to skate uh there were some issues with teenagers just getting into trouble there and dealing drugs and what kind of things i get that but there was these guys that would come in that were black guys that i got to really love talking to and enjoy they were just cool people and but because of the color of their skin he would yell at them for standing around. He would yell at them for leaning on the walls, on the mic, on the DJ microphone. Hey, you, get off the wall. You, you know. But the white people all day long could break the rules. And it was obvious. It was blatant. And it was horrible. And I had to leave. So uh, in my adult life, I really count my adult career starting at Chick-fil-A when I came back from college. Uh, I've washed dishes for a living. Uh, I was a crossing guard. <laughs> <laughs> for a while at school, I uh, refereed soccer games and basketball games. I've done a lot of stuff. What are my kids going to do for their first jobs? That's a good sidetrack question, Laura. What are my kids going to do for their first jobs? Hell if I know. <laughs> I hope they get a job at the movie theater so I can get in for free. That's what I hope they get for their first job. Um, I don't know. Uh, there's a tradition in my wife's family of working at this one particular McDonald's. 
But McDonald's sucks balls. It really, for working there, the food's fine. Uh, sometimes you'll actually get people who give good service in spite of what they get paid or how they get treated. But it sucks balls to work there now. It, it's, it's the way they treat people is horrible. If you go to McDonald's and go, and somebody just is rude to you or they're dumb, I mean, they almost got drool, and you're like, hey, I'd like to, and you point, I want the number one, whatever it is. Let's just call it the Big Mac meal with fries and a, uh, and they're looking at their board, uh, and they look behind them, uh, it's because McDonald's pays minimum wage, makes you compete, as an adult, makes you compete with idiot teenagers, and I, I don't mean all teenagers are stupid, I mean the guy's like, uh, where's the button, and the buttons aren't buttons anymore, it didn't say, you know, BGMC for Big Mac, it doesn't even say Big Mac, it's got a picture, big number one on it, and the picture, the same picture that's on the thing behind you, and he can't find it. So, you know, you have to compete with these kind of people for minimum wage, and they treat you like you're disposable. It's horrible. It's horrible. So, please, what I'm saying there is a little side note. If you go into any fast food place, and I'm not saying they're all horrible. I've only worked for a few, and I've been around some others. That I never worked for McDonald's myself. I said, hell, so no, no. But my wife did when she was a teenager. She tried again when she's an adult, and they wanted to dick her over. And I was like, oh, hell no. That ain't going to happen. They wanted her with four kids and me at home working the schedule I was working already trying to make money. They wanted her to work overnights at McDonald's for $8 an hour with the possibility of maybe becoming an assistant. I was like, fuck that shit. No. And even she was like, that's that's retarded. I can't do that. That is just just too little money for too much responsibility. It's stupid. Um, yeah, you know, Laura, the, 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 she makes a post about, you know, I'll put this up for YouTube to see. She makes a post about uh, what the experience at McDonald's. But it's all about how you treat people, right? Even when I went to Taco Bell, so I was working on the ambulance. I had gotten two ambulance jobs. The first one shut their doors forever, got paid. And that hurt a lot because of the way they, again, these are bad business practices to me. And and at one point, National EMS even did this when I worked with them. And I don't know if they still do it. But paying behind on your paychecks because you give somebody a uniform is crap. And a lot of companies, even National, said, well, it's to make sure you turn it in at the end. And that means you get an extra paycheck two weeks after you've quit. Okay, but it's still, for the first two weeks you work, you don't see a paycheck. For the first month that you work, you don't see a paycheck. That is a very hard thing to do, and that's why I think it's a really bad business practice to do that. How about you have them sign a piece of paper that says, hey, at the end of this, if you don't turn in X, Y, Z, you know, two uniforms, whatever, because yeah, they can be washed and reused. I get that. And, and, and over time as you're there, you get new uniforms and, and old ones wear out and those kind of things. That's fine. But if you don't turn in, you know, it's a minimum. National was actually decent about what you had to turn in. But if you don't turn it in, we take it out of your paycheck. Fair enough. But don't make me work a month without getting a paycheck because it's, it's super difficult to do. And this first company I went to did that as well. We're giving you a uniform, which was a shitty-ass uniform. It really was. It's bullshit. And it, it wasn't worth two weeks of my pay. But they hold the two weeks of your your first paycheck basically gets held uh, for a uniform deposit. And then the next two weeks, uh, it comes two weeks behind. So basically, by the time I get my first paycheck, I've worked six weeks. And in that six weeks, I'd earned like fifteen to $1,800. It wasn't a ton. It was, it was right around $2,000. 
But I never got that paycheck because they were they went bankrupt. A lot of shady shit, all this jazz. So the second job I got was in Athens at Athens Regional when Athens Regional ran their own ambulance service. And I've told that story many times. I'm going to get into it. But I'd lost that job. Went to anywhere. Because I had a truck payment to make. I had to pay the insurance on my truck. And I was living at home for very low rent. And if I didn't have a job, my parents didn't charge rent. But uh, I still had to pay for my truck payment and my insurance on my truck. So that's that was a thing. And I was like, well, I've got to make that happen. Any way I can. And, and plus, you still want to have a life and, and get out there. I was 19, 20 at the time, somewhere in there. Uh, I don't think I was quite 21 then, but maybe I was. Anyway, the only job I could find was Taco Bell. And it hurt my pride a little bit only when fellow EMTs and medics had come in that I'd worked with and I had to serve them. Other than that, it's a it's a respectable job, and the owners were really treated their people right now. I never associated with them. I never, you know, I'm still getting up to that whole working versus personal and how I want to run my business and how it's kind of difficult to separate. But I never really associated with the owners. But I had managers. We had a head manager, and then we had the assistant managers, or whatever. And I worked with two people in particular most of the time, and you learn how each one wants them differently. But they treated people right. Right, they were like we're friendly, we're helpful. Uh, there's no real big wall in between us. However, we do expect these standards, and they, with energy, with thank yous, with hey, you're doing a great job. They rewarded good work, good hard work with positive energy. Right, and I like that. I like just being recognized. Going, hey, you're doing a great job. We appreciate what you're doing. So. I worked there, and I think I probably made minimum wage. I didn't make a ton of money. But it, it was a very respectful place. And the only time a line was crossed between working and, and and personal relationships were me and this one manager, assistant manager, got along really, really well. And we'd always goof off and this and that. And basically, I could do her job. I mean, that was the thing. In most of the situations I've ever been in, I could do my supervisor's job. I never wanted their job, so I didn't feel like I was a threat, but, you know, sometimes they did. I don't think she did. It didn't matter. But we, there's this one time she came up, and she emptied out my register and did a, a safe drop, and which is fine to do. Well, she forgot, so later on, like that night, and I forgot, too, because I'm like, yeah, sure, whatever, I'm going about my business. I don't, I have never stolen money from a job that I've ever been in, ever, ever. It just never crossed my mind to steal money from a place. I, I've been around too many people who've done it and gotten caught and gotten all kind of things ruined for them. So I just don't do that. Well, she, your, your drawer is, I mean, it's a ridiculous amount of money. It's like $300 short or 200 I mean, it's, a, it's a, an insanely large amount of money for being, you know, a dollar or two here up to five, you know, oh, you rang up a free meal or something, you know. That that they overlooked it, but that would be the easier mistake that you know, oh you know they you didn't notice they gave you a five instead of a ten your five you know a small amount of money is what I'm saying. Well, the the when it came out like two hundred or three hundred dollars short, I was like, uh, no, it didn't. No, it's not. And she's like, yeah, it is. You're gonna have to pay for it. And I was like, you know what? I've been here for X amount of time. I've never done anything wrong. I'm gonna be back in the morning, and I'm pretty sure you dropped it in the safe. No, I didn't do that. I would have written it down. No pretty damn sure you came through and took money out of my drawer dropped it in the safe we'll figure this out in the morning and that's how i, I handled it. it was like no i'm better than you i'm not going to spend this money I, i'm not going to give you money because you're not paying me uh, you can go f yourself you know I, and, and then i was i mean i was being polite so that's why i didn't say 
fuck. I said, F, you know. I was like, no, 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 no. This is how this is going to go down. This because it's a time safe, right? They can't just get into it. And that's the point of it. That's why you do the drops because it's, it's a time safe. So the next morning when the head manager would come in, it'd be the timer would be up. It, he'd open it up. And, and I said, well, in the morning, I have a shift anyway. I'll be back. I'll come in early for my shift and we'll sit down and talk about it. But there's no way I stole this money. And good luck calling the cops right now because you got no evidence uh, other than it's short and that's it. So we'll handle this tomorrow. And she got mad. I mean, because she took it personally. And I was trying to actually be professional. And that's where that line of working versus personal had been blurred, crossed even, was because she'd been treating me like a friend too much. And then she forgot something she did. It's a simple mistake. But because of whatever she perceived was going to happen to her or her responsibilities or whatever, she instantly took it out on me. And I was like, uh, no, that ain't going to happen. And sure enough, the next day, the safe came open. Boom, there's the drop that I said you did. And sure enough, every last dollar was in there. And and I think she actually apologized. Oh, I'm sorry. You know. And it was just gone instantly. You know, Okay, no issue. And, and that's difficult. Because when you start talking about work, working relationships, there's so much coming down from above or even internally where you perceive something's going on. When somebody's not feeling safe in their job, their management style is going to show that. It's going to come through hard like that. I've always been a manager that tries to give you the benefit of the doubt, that tries to treat you like a person. I remember being a captain at National EMS, and not that we had bad ones. We had mostly good captains. I mean, they were pretty good about, yeah, and she got scared. You're right, Angie. Uh, but they were mostly, uh, National was mostly good about promoting people who were leaders, who really got the company vision, who would, would supervise well. Every once in a while, somebody idiot would, would get bumped up, but for the most part, good, good things happened. And I was one of those captains, and I had a guy who really didn't work with me all that much, and I honestly don't remember his name, but this was the first time it happened in my life. It happened twice, and basically the same day, that because I was a commander for the day, right? So when, it, when we don't have a commander in, there's three commanders, uh, and the captains are in trucks, basically. Uh, there's one to two captains per shift, depending on where you are. There can be one per truck. It, it's whatever. But the captains go into the pool to replace the commander for promotion, of course, but also for if the commander's out for the day and somebody couldn't swap in, the captain gets bumped up and another paramedic comes in and takes their spot on the truck. So I was commander for the day and, and I had to make the, you know, the decisions on who transports what and how to handle schedule, you know, basics, nothing major. And it was a weekend. And I don't remember what went down, but I remember, I remember things happening. And here's how I always work things. I, I don't care about titles. Titles are bullshit. You can be manager. I can be lackey. But if I can run this thing better than you, I'm going to. If you drop the ball, I will pick it up. Now I will pick it up and help you with the assist. Never to run you over or throw you under the bus and say, oh, look at me. I should have your job. No, it's to make sure we get this goddamn job done. Because it's important to treat our clients with respect and to stand up to our basic promises, which says this is what we will deliver. That's how I've always been. And I might get into the office stuff where I was used as a night supervisor because of that, but never got the title or the pay or the power. But it didn't matter. I ran the place. I ran the place. And that's what mattered to me was I just want to make sure stuff gets done right. I want to make sure that if I have people associated with me, I take care of my people. And whatever happened at National, I don't remember. It was a it was one of the things where you have to make the best worst decision you can. 
And I did, and I still don't remember what it was, but I never threw anybody under the bus. I never hollered at anybody. Uh, I actually think I had to, which is something as a captain you never want to do as a temporary commander. You never want to have that disciplinary situation where you have to talk to somebody about what they're doing because you only have that power for the day. And so really, you know, you can't do a whole lot to them. But there was some situation where I had to sit somebody down and talk to them about their behavior on a call and document it. And, you know, say, because I'm not the commander, I have to pass this up to somebody else. But, you know, from professional to professional, what you did was bullshit. And pieces are coming back to me as I'm telling the story, but I still don't remember exactly what I did. But I handled it with human dignity and respect because that's what everybody deserves. And that day, either that day or the next shift, I had two different people tell me while I wasn't their commander or their captain, they would follow me forever. They would they would work with me anywhere and any time, and they really appreciated how I was as a leader. And that was one of the first times in my life I really got that validation, and I really got that you're doing a good job, and and we want to follow you. Moment, and I've gotten it a number of times since then, but that was the first, and that because I'm always questioning myself. Any good leader is questioning, did I make the right one? Now I I absolutely am staying away from saying self-doubt. Did I make the right decision? Oh, what could have gone wrong? But no, as a leader to grow and go forward, you make a decision, you're comfortable with it, you own it. If it was the wrong one, you learn from it and figure out what you could have done better and move forward. Doubt never plays into it. Fear never plays into that. What I am specifically talking about is I will make a decision and I will think back, did I make the right one? Especially in a temporary situation where I'm essentially middle management like I was there, where the owners of the company and the directors yada, yada, were above me. Uh, typically, I had a commander above me, but at that point, I was the acting commander. You know, So I have, these, I have people always beneath me, right, as far as leadership role. Because I was a captain, so I still outranked a paramedic because I had captain on my shoulder. And even though we were both medics, it didn't matter your, your stuff. I had captain outranked you. So I still had people beneath me that I needed to take care of. But I had people above me that I had to fall in line with and make decisions I thought they would want me to make for their business. So I'm always thinking, did I make the right one? Did I do the right thing? Did I overstep? You know, it's a lot easier. To me, it is a lot easier when you run your own business. It is so much easier to me when you run your own business because I answer to me and my clients. That's it. You know. So anyway, they told me that, and it was it was validation. And, and on a side note, validation is very, very important to people. It's very important to me. I get very validated when I have people come out and watch the show live. I love that. I love the comments. I love the hearts and all that jazz. Just knowing you're here, just seeing that four people are watching right now is not a ton, but it's awesome. To see that the video gets so many watches overall on Facebook is really great. To see the downloads. But to really get those emails and those comments, it, to, to Phil Ramos actually wrote me in the other day and said, uh, uh, hey, man, thanks for all the shout-outs and stuff. I'm like, but you will always be the guy who jumped on board with Success Freaks, who jumped on board when I left Success Freaks, jumped immediately on board with Rock Out of Podcasting and gave me questions. And not only that, here's, here's what I want to say about this. This is what Phil did for me that was very, very important because in the early days of starting this, I thought, man, that is way too much ego to call. You know, I have always called myself the Rock God of Podcasting. It's, it's a, 
it's an air. It's a, a imagery I want you to have. That's why I have the flames and the skull with the headphones. This is rock and roll, huge stadium, fuck the world energy, but it's also relatable and, and this and that. And, but I thought, man, if it, I just make a show about my stories and my life, even though that's my expertise, right? That's where I will always talk out of. That's where I will always come from. I thought, man, there's a ton of ego. Man, maybe nobody will want to listen. And, of course, starting any podcast, any project, any kind of creative endeavor is slow growing, typically. So I'm always concerned, is this the right thing to do? And he jumped in, not only asked questions, but when I did answer the questions on the show, he immediately, when he heard it, when he listened to the show, he told me how it affected his life. And that solidified and changed the game forever. When I know that something I said is not just me blowing wind, it's not just me telling stories and, and just having a drunken good time sometimes or, or just talking to hear myself speak, because I do that. I do love to hear myself speak. I love my stories. I love being able to share them, partially because if I don't share them, then it's a wasted experience. It can become a tragedy instead of a learning experience. If I don't share my stories to help change the world, I feel like I'm doing what I was, was always done to me, and I feel like I'm abandoning people, right? If I had just had somebody tell me this one story about this one adventure, about working and painting gun, hey, hey, dude, you're 16, this is your first job. Yeah, no, I get that the other guys are doing it, but I'm going to tell you something. If you go out and don't talk to somebody and you just do that, maybe they're going to treat you wrong and won't let you do it anyway. That doesn't matter, buddy. It doesn't matter. What matters is if you want to keep that job and you want to keep going, you got to play their game, and that sucks balls, but it gets better. If I had somebody tell me some story like that, the story I just told about getting thrown under a bus for painting a fucking pricing gun and getting singled out when everybody else had done a whole bunch of shit, it, 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 it wouldn't have happened, and the story would have been different. And so I have to share those stories. But beyond my need to share, beyond my need to talk, to know that what I'm actually saying is changing somebody's life. It is actually affecting them. When, when you give me a question and I answer it to the best of my ability and then you tell me how it helped you, that means everything to me. And, yeah, that's a personal relationship. But that's also a working relationship. When I'm running Giant Size Team Up and I have to do something I despise doing, which is get on to somebody or tell somebody who's a creative person to change something that they're doing. Having them respond positively helps. Having my partner say the way you handled that was really well done. It means everything to me. Because while we have working relationships, while I have partners who on paper just have a vote, right? We all have a say in how it goes. I'm the one who's been left. Uh, I use the word left as opposed to chosen or requested because we never really talked about it but i had the time to drive and the vision so i've been left to run the company but my partners are there every step of the way klotz is always there going hey let's steer it this way and he, he's steering the way he wants to go but he's not in there on a day-to-day -day basis he leaves that to me ibit is steering and he's a great sounding board and Man, I got to tell you, when I get up in my head and start getting pissed off about something, he is the first person who can talk me down business-wise. Because, hey, one, I have massive respect for Brian Ebbett. 
he's been doing this slightly longer than I have. But beyond that, he knew who he was before he started podcasting. And he has one of the most successful shows that's out there ever. One of the most longest running shows as well called Coverville. And I don't drop that name to say, oh, I know Brian never Coverville. No, I dropped that name to say what, the reason he has my utmost respect, and I will shut up and listen when he speaks, is because he was who I wanted to be when I started podcasting. He knew who he was. He had this love of music. He had this ability to do this. He was willing to build a business on it and invest money because he licenses all the songs that he plays on the show, which is a big deal. So he's a, he, he had this business sense. He, he was together. The easiest way to put it, he was together. And so I can look back and see what he did from the get-go and said, oh, that's what I wanted to do. But I spent eight years figuring that out. So when I come to him, and he has an opposite side of us, opposite view of mine, I shut up and listen because I wanted to be not him, right? I want to be me. He's very, I call him the, the nicest guy in podcasting because he's super nice. And I've seen him get pissed off once or twice. And it's honestly kind of comical because. His voice only somewhat changes. Like, I'll go from talking and loud around bunches. If I'm pissed off, man, it is harsh, and it is ugly, and it can rage, and it can just, man, you know. you know, And it's like, holy shit. I mean, it's a storm. It is a storm when I'm mad. I, am, I was at Doctor Who. I am the oncoming storm, man. It, it is bad. You know when I'm pissed off. But when it's pissed off, you know, he's – but you can tell he's angry, but it's it's – it's not a ton different than when he's happy. It's 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 interesting is what it is. So anyway, he's the nicest guy in podcasting. He's very happy and warm and, and inviting. And while I like some of that, I definitely like being the rock god. The, you know, the guy who could drop the dirty jokes and you get it. Angie said this the best. This is what I loved about Angie when I first met her. And this is what I loved about me. Talking about validation. In the bear calling days, man. There was just a lot of figuring out what I needed to do, where I needed to go, and who I am. And and uh, Hades on Hercules. We just watched Hercules the other day, Laura. It's a family again. Uh, yeah, she pictures me as Hades with the hair on fire. It, it, it can come out that way. It, it, it's definitely not nearly as nice as Hades, but uh, it's it's there. Um, yeah, Laura, I, I'm going to pin this comment because I want to I read this because it's going to play into where I want to go next. Absolutely. Um, but I do like being edgy. I like being the rock guy. But when I was in bear calling, I was still kind of figuring out, literally figuring out who I was. I was working through a lot of my anger issues. I was working with my family issues. I was working through my damage. I was going through all this stuff. So when I met Angie for the first time, she had listened to a number of shows. I had gotten involved somewhat with what we were doing. And... After we met, she didn't tell me like face to face, but after the event that we met at and later on, she messaged me and she goes, what I like best about it is, is you're not a personality. I'm, I'm rephrasing it because I don't remember the exact quote, but she goes, you're not a personality. What you see is what you get because so many people on their shows, radio shows, band members on stage, uh, podcasts, TV shows, whatever. So many people on shows put on this front, put on this is who I am and this is what I do for the show. But when the show's done, they're all they're totally different people, and maybe they're standoffish or they're rude or they don't care or or clingy or you know. She didn't add all this stuff. I'm reading into it, but what she said to me was specifically, "What you see is what you get." You were exactly in person. You were exactly like you were on the show, 
and what I can see more of that you don't get to see on the show enough because it's only a two-hour show, you know, once a week, whatever. Opportunities didn't necessarily lend itself as an eight-hour day hanging out will lend itself to. It's to see that I may I take care of people. I made sure everybody who was there was hydrated and having a good time and making sure they got to where they wanted to go and do what they wanted to do and you know, basically put others before myself because to me it was about them. And when she said that, that really locked me onto the path to where I am today because it, it is just, it is who I wanted to be ultimately. I wanted to be me. But going looping that back in, Brian Abbott wants to be him. And that's what I admired in him. Oh, she said, except I said you were nicer in person than I thought you would be. <laughs> that's right. You did say that. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so I, that's why Abbott has such a calming effect over me. It's because he is who he is. And I've always wanted to figure out and I think I'm hitting that stride in the last year or so of being who I am and making us you know equals basically but he can calm me down clots can can definitely steer me in a business direction uh but but the partners see the partners are more than just on paper right the partners are a personal relationship I'm friends with Ibit. I am friends with clots I am friends with Chris Wisdom and Mike Woodard and Nolan Overton and uh, Carl Dodge all of these people work with the company and I have dreams, and they're buying into the dream, and they're pushing it forward. But my thing is, even when I was supervisors, it was take care of people. Treat people like people, but never misunderstand me. There was, there was man, it's a song or it's a quote from a movie or TV show. Uh, I hate that I never can remember it because it's always played into what I do. You misunderstand kindness for weakness, or you mistake kindness for weakness. No, you know, I am kind. I will love you to death. I will be your friend. I always want to be friends with everybody in my company. We're gonna, I'm going to use this comment from Laura to talk about the working and personal relationship together. But understand business is business. And I'm taking care of mine because my business takes care of other people. And when it's just about me, it's easy, to, easy for me. See, some people can make it just about them. Uh, my business is mine and don't threaten me. Well, for me, it's the opposite. If it's just mine, I'll, I tend to throw myself under the bus when I shouldn't. I tend to sacrifice myself, and maybe I should stand up for myself. It's a long-running damage. It's a long-running habit, and I, I, it will happen. It can happen. But when my business takes care of other people, when it, you know, same with my family, when I had people come at me all day long, I'd take their shit all day long and maybe even excuse it accept it embrace it whatever where my wife would hate that but when you came at my wife or you came at my kids that's when the real me came out that's when i was like no 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 no, you're not gonna get through this wall and this I'll, i and that was the thing i wasn't intentionally saying this i was i do now uh but i do it in a positive way but i was reacting and what happened to me will never happen to my kids that's where i was coming from how i was treated as a human being by people who i loved and who loved me will never happen to my wife or my children, which was a lie because I totally treated my wife that way and, and crapped on her. But that's a whole different story. You, you, it's out there. The, the story's on bear crawling. Actually, you probably can't find those anymore. Uh, but the story is definitely on success freaks, which you can find. I think some of the earlier episodes of this I've talked about 
uh, the, the darkness with my wife. And definitely being married to Aaron, I, I'm sure I went through some of that stuff. But the short and sweet of it is now it's I am your friend, but understand this is a business. And we have to make money at a business, period. And here's how we're going to do it. We're, gonna, we're pushing new boundaries. We're trying to break into new spaces that nobody's ever been before. We're trying to mold that. We are creatives. We're independent creatives. We do what we want to do. And we make money doing it. And it's a very difficult place to be sometimes. Because people perceive things as, as when I have to come to them as well you're you're stepping on my creative freedom if you perceive it that way then maybe we have to part ways because i'm going to tell you what i've said from the beginning in the giant size team up network every show that has been brought into this network every person that has been brought into this network was asked a simple question will you work this like a second job if you can quit your day job to do this will you not one day maybe will you because right now, and they got the same speech. Everybody got the same exact speech. I'm working this job like it's a full-time job, and it's paying almost next to nothing. And everything that I do bring in, I turn around and put right back into the company. I'm not making a profit that I can go take my family out to eat or to a movie with on this job yet. Because it's a startup. It's, I'm an entrepreneur. This is a startup business. Profits go back to funding the business. So that means I have to hustle on the other side and work enough to make money for my family. But I also have to make money for this company to grow, and this is the future. Everybody's gotten that. So if they ever come to me and say, oh, you know, you're stepping on my creative freedom, then we need to rethink this whole relationship. Because I love you, and I want you to be my friend, and I think we are friends. Hey, Terry Wolf, how's it going? But I need you to understand business is business. And I actually have to have a conversation coming up with somebody about keeping part of what they do and getting rid of part of what they do because part of what they do doesn't yeah we, we're uh yeah Terry, we're uh 46 minutes in so you're welcome to join midstream or you know you can wait for the podcast either way you want to do it and thanks for mentioning the podcast if you do catch this live on facebook there's a podcast on itunes rock out of podcasting same thing as this channel same thing as the nice little logo right there in the corner rock dot com. It has RSS feed for Android and everything else. You can go to iTunes. It's in Google Play, I think it is. I don't know if it's in Google Play or not. Google Play is a joke for podcasting, but it's neither here nor there. My point is, business comes first. Now, I want to use this comment that Laura talked about to really define working relationships that mix with personal relationships, which is exactly how I want to build my business. I always want my business to feel like family. Laura DePooter says, one thing I have vowed to do is fire people if I need it. I'm not going to have drama or craziness or whining because I don't have a pair or don't want to hurt someone's feelings. Horses are too dangerous to have all that other going on. And I fully agree with that. I fully get that. And I, I can tell, I can tell you have the same struggle I have is you really just want everything to work well that you never want to conflict and confront somebody if you don't have to. You never want to fire somebody. I know people won't be with me forever. My dream is that you will grow and thrive underneath whatever I'm doing, that I can give you skills and help you see a whole new world that somebody else values and goes, oh, you're amazing. We want you to come work for us, and we'll pay you twice what he's paying you. 
that's my dream is that when I lose people it's because they have grown and all the awesome they've done with me and I've done with them all the co-creation we've done lets them shine. I've told that to Paul Klotz and uh, Chris Wisdom on Breaking the Panel is I'm the one off of that show to get all the interviews. I get invited on to other podcasts uh, more and more every day. I just last night got to do another episode of Geek.io, geek-io.net. It was a ton of fun. Gotta love playing with those people. It's so much fun to go and hang out over there. Uh, earlier this week, I was on the Blind Monkey Show. And uh, again, you know, just getting the invites. But I, I said, at some point, I want the world to understand who you guys are and that they want you on their shows. And I think Dragon Con is going to help highlight that. But my thing is, it's not ever just me. I do understand I'm a bright and shining star. I'm a, a, a rocket. I'm a bottle rocket, man. I just take off, and I'm a Roman candle. You know, Fourth of July is coming up. I heard a lot of stuff about fireworks today. But I do understand that I am a, a big shining light. I never hide who I am. I'm loud. I'm boisterous. I have passion for life. I have no fear in saying anything that comes into my mind. And I have the heart to drive shows. I love being the driver of breaking the panel, but I know that Paul Klotz can do it. I know that Chris Wisdom can do it. And I know they're getting their legs underneath each other. Uh, each other. <laughs> they're getting their legs under themselves is what I meant to say. Uh, and thank you, Terry. God, thank you, Terry. I can't get enough of your podcasts and streams. That's That means a lot, man. I love that because Terry came in as – as a uh, little side note, let me go off on this sidebar because of this. I know when you get introduced to me on a certain show, you may always just stick with that show. We had that with From the Helicarrier where those people loved that game. And the game was Marvel Avengers Alliance. But they loved that game, and all they wanted to hear about was that game. And they would not follow us over back to Coverville for Brian. They would not follow me back to Success Freak. Some did, a few did. But for the most part, that audience stayed there. Even when we took the same three hosts, Paul Klotz, Brian Emmett, and myself, and started breaking the panel to be able to talk about stuff other than the game but stay in that comic book world, right? To talk about the movies, the TV shows, the issues that come up in the comic geek world of sexism. Gamergate happened while we were doing that show. And we wanted to talk about it, and our audience didn't want to hear about it. They only wanted to hear about playing this actual game. That's fine. I get that. So... For somebody to come in, like a Phil Ramos did with MAA, he followed me to Success Freaks. Uh, Terry Wolf came in through Pokemon Go Podcast, which is a very watered-down version of myself because it's PG-13. We really try to keep it PG, but we allow for a little edginess, a little naughty sauce, if you will, there. But for the most part, it's very PG-13. And I made a joke. I made a joke on that show about... Uh, um, Elton John, because I love Elton John. I've grown up loving his music. That man, I don't know when he officially came out, uh, but that man was out from the 70s on. I mean, come on. You, you, can just, you can just see his flamboyancy on stage, the way he, he was broadcasting it to the world. I'm gay and I'm proud. I don't know what his words were, but that's, you know, I don't, like I said, I don't know when he officially came out, but I love Elton John. Grew up with Elton John. He, he writes some of the most amazing music, tells some of the most amazing stories. Really cool person from all the interviews I've seen. So I made a joke on Pokemon Go. The, the Pokemon is called Flareon, which I had a very difficult time remembering all the different names then. I've used it more now. But I, I, uh, I can't remember the exact line I used, but something along the lines, if Elton John was playing, <laughs> if Elton John was playing, this would be a Flameon. And my host, co-host laughed. I laughed. 
I've never done anything homophobic ever on that show. There's, in fact, I think we've been pretty open about accepting everybody and the whole my whole stick on that show my whole role in the beginning of that show was to be the everyman to be the person who didn't know crap about pokemon who came in and talked about playing the game and the game experience and we talked about and i was representing everybody and saying how inclusive this game is and we're bringing people in because they were hardcore it's not rockets honestly that were just like ah if you haven't been playing for 20 years you don't know that fuck you you have no hold on this game. And honestly, that's the stupidest mentality in the world. And this, you know what? You can kind of soft interpret this into relationships of personal and work relationships because some stupid ideas are, it has to stay this way. Your game will die. Your game will die if you can never be flexible to allow new people in, to have new experiences, and to do things differently. I know, Angie, thank you. You're the most non-homophobic person I know. I know, I know, I know. And, and and no, I get I, and then that, that see that's the unspoken thing, Terry, that you get and some other people didn't. Is I am the glue of that show. If I don't run that show, that show doesn't go because Ibit's schedule is so scattered. He doesn't have the time to really run that show. Joe Ard is brand new to podcasting. He does a great job. He has grown so much so fast in the time that we've been together. By the time we bought the show. And that's what we did. Giant Size Team Up bought that show from Bo York. When we bought it, Joe didn't have the chops to run the show. And none of my other partners were playing the game. So I'm like, oh, shit, I have to run this show. And that was the thing is, is I stuck with it even when I wanted to leave the show because I got so much shit from people about being a, a filthy guy. Not, it, I call myself a filthy casual, but they, they used other words about not knowing. I mean, the shame that they tried to put on me. I was like, you know what? I don't give a shit enough to be here. And my partners were like, well, one, you do you're, you you do give enough of a shit. Two, you are good enough to play in playing this game. And three, fuck those assholes. You know, and, and they did. The assholes went away. But that joke. So I'm always edgy. It's just my thing. It's fun. It's it's I, I get bored just playing clean. It's it's just not fun. And I made that joke about Flameon. And instantly, we got this diatribe email about how homophobic I was and this and that and the other. And, and I mean, they ripped, they ripped Brian and Joe. One put words in their mouth, which never happened. But they like, oh, my God, even when they tried to talk you down, uh, you just leaned in and did more jokes. And it's like, what show are you listening to? Uh, and it was an interesting thing to be able to tackle, but that's that's the audience over there. Now we did have we did have some gay people instantly write in too, like, "Oh my God, my my partner doesn't play this game." But when I heard that, I laughed so hard I had to play it like five times, laughed hard every time. And then I emailed my partner's like, "Oh, you gotta go listen to this episode," and you know the gays got it, and uh, because it's all inclusive, everybody should understand that. And the people who didn't were very close minded, very tight, very ugly about it and either they moved on or they grew i don't know but that's how it is over there so when terry <laughs> when terry's like oh look you do other shows i'm like mm. <laughs> you might want to drink carefully because that is the lightest version of charles that you'll ever get is on that show so you know you're gonna rock god you're gonna hear about penises and sex and dirty words and all this stuff and calling people out and you know, it, it's, it's, yeah. And so it means a lot when you come in and say you can't get enough. It, it does because I do question if you get introduced to me on a, a PG show 
or on a guest spot where and when I'm a guest on another show, I'm I'm much more laid back because I'm feeling out what the hosts want and I'm trying to be a great guest and, and give them entertainment for their audience and for themselves and to, and to contribute to what they do. So if you get, yeah, I'm, see, I'm a Kevin Smith fan as well. And that's why I always say this show is if Kevin Smith and Tony Robbins had a baby, that's me. And then you throw in some Jim Swilly truth telling and soul searching and that's what you get. All right. Validation is important. All that stuff does matter because as a boss, you need to know what you're doing right by your employees, okay? As an employee, you need to know what you're doing is awesome by your boss. The interesting situation I ever had was at the last office I was in, Barbara was my boss. And I got some flack, some good-natured flack for it, but we lived somewhat in the same direction. Uh, most people lived in the city of Conyers or out from there. I lived down on the lake 45 minutes away. She lived down towards the lake, but then you'd turn off and whatever. She wasn't that far. She's about 10 minutes from me. And she didn't have a man in her life at that time. Now, she was older than I was. She was never romantically attracted to me or anything like that, neither I to her. But she was like, hey, you live out my way. You're a very helpful guy. Would you mind coming by my house and fixing my toilet? And that became a big thing in the office. <laughs> she came back. She knew it was going to be a thing, and she embarrassed me with it on purpose just to mess with me. But she's like, oh, God, Charles is so great. He came by my house and fixed my flapper and just cracked herself up. And everybody just loved it and started giving me some shit. And I, I did get wrecked because I know the insinuation there. And it was a little bit. But I was like, all right, you know, it's funny. I took it well. Um, but the interesting thing was she had no problems yelling at me in front of people when I did some bullshit, when I, when I messed up. Now, if it's an honest mistake, she would talk to me quietly about it. If it was an honest mistake that she wanted to teach other people about, she would yell at me in a kind of a fun way, which was her catch line was, are you crazy? And she was like, are you crazy? You did this and this and this on this report. What the hell's wrong with you in front of everybody? Knowing I could take it. And she did it to a few people knowing that we could take it because there's a learning experience for everybody else. And, you know, we would recognize that's what she was doing. And she led with that. If, are you crazy? You knew you were, you were wrong. You messed up. But she's yelling to teach other people about it. Then there were the times she would take me into a closed door office and be like, uh, dude, we got a problem. Did you actually do this? Did you? Blah, blah. And we would talk about it. But there, then there would be follow ups with, uh, hey, come to my house for a barbecue. So it was a, a work and personal relationship. And that's where I learned to be some of the boss that I am is that is you never have to separate the two. She could be personal all the time. She could have fired my ass if she had to. Because when it came down to it, her job was to do her job. But she liked me. She liked uh, uh, Nelson. And she liked uh, uh, DeVed and a bunch of other people. And, you know, she wanted to be personal. She wanted to know about the life. She was always telling me, hey, call your wife. Call your wife. Have her bring the kids up. I want to see the kids. And so she'd make me have the kids come to the office. And everybody would stop working. Because Crosby was a baby. And she learned to actually walk in that office. Uh, Oakland was a toddler, so he's just cute as all get out. And, and everybody would stop working when my kids would come to play with them and see that. But she would do that from time to time. Even the, the male bosses that were in their own offices set away would hear the commotion come out. and like, hey, and they'd want to play with the kids too. It was that kind of office environment. So I got to learn you can kind of have a family relationship. You can kind of have a friendship relationship. But work comes first. As long as you're meeting expectations and we're always communicating expectations back and forth, 
you know where you are. So it's really the onus is on me. The responsibility became on me that I know where my expectations were. I knew if I ex- performed outside of those expectations. So here's the expectations, right? I'm doing the sex finger thing in my hand so you can see the expectations. <laughs> but I know if I performed outside of the expectations. <laughs> this thing has got away from me really fast, but I'm going to keep on with it. That it was it was uh, um, a <laughs> points system almost. So I perform above expectations, and they love what I do, right? Uh, they love what I do, uh, but now I'm sitting on the camera and it's throwing me off again. But then when I would step outside of what they didn't want, so I would come into work, and for the entire first hour of getting paid and being on the clock, I would literally stand around and go talk to people with my coffee. I'd go hang out in IT department. I'd talk to the secretary up front. I would go to different departments to talk to people. And everybody knew it. Everybody could see it. It's a small building. And, see and sometimes when people would complain, they would they would get on to me. It's like, man, we need you to work. I'm like, all right, yeah, I'll be there in a minute. Uh, but really, there's like, okay, people see that you're not in your seat. And like, yeah, but people also see that I do way more than they do. And so they actually, the bosses loved that. So they actually took it on. And so when Barbara, somebody complained, Barbara was like, yo, he's been an hour and a half down there in IT talking. Yeah, he did that yesterday too, but he also did 35 scans when he was only supposed to do 18. How many have you done today? And they put the responsibility back on the people. And I love that about that situation. So that's what I do with Giant Size Team Up and with any company I run. I, I need it to be like a family. I need Klotz and Ibbett to be brothers to me. I need Chris Wilson to be a brother to me. You know, I need people who will call me on my bullshit, who will say, okay, that idea, we get where you're going, but here's why we think it won't work. What you're trying to accomplish is this. And they'll they'll take my words and change it and say, okay, here's the heart of what you're trying to do, right? Yeah, okay, yeah, that's, that's what I'm trying to do. Well, here's a better way to try to accomplish that. Okay, you know, we work together, we guide, we, we fly together. And we do things. Uh, there was a time when I did something that, that our fans didn't like. And it was stupid of them. And they had no business yelling at me for it. And it, it, was, it was this long thing that I don't even want to get into. But Paul Kloss called me out on it. He's like, hey, you know, you're going to have to fix that. You got time for a call? And I'm like, fuck. Because he knew I didn't want to fix that. He knew I, my instinct was to fight back, tell this guy to go fuck himself. Because he had no right doing what he did. And I can do whatever the fuck I want with my shit. Um, and I, we were on the phone for an hour and the first part of it was, you know, I said, class, you know, when I yell, it's not going to be at you. It's going to, he said, no, I'm good. And I did. I, I was like, fuck that motherfucker. You know, I, I got it out and he goes, okay, that being aside, we still have to move in a different direction and, and for the future of the company. And here's, we always want to do things upright. And, and while this guy is an asshole, this will actually pull us away from them 100% and to do it in our own way. And I'm like, you know. You're right. And I need that. And if we're just on paper, if we're just working relationship people, you honestly don't earn the right to even say that to me. Because when it comes down to it in a natural human form, humans push back. And that's why companies break up. That's why churches break up. That's why people break up is because you push back because you haven't earned the right to talk to each other. So you haven't invested time to earn that right. But then to invest the time to earn the ability to speak to somebody to get them to hear you, that's a personal relationship. All of the hosts underneath me basically work for me, right? Because um, there's partners. We have three part or 
we have partners in the business, and then we have junior partners, and we have associates, okay? And, and that's, that's just in the company. Then we have hosts, and we have a working relationship with the host. We have contracts with them. They work for us, basically. If they do something that shines badly on what we do, we have the right to tell them to stop that. We have the right to tell them, you've got to make some money. And that's some conversations that I'm going to have to have coming up here shortly. Is it's time. We've, we've done our growth. We've done our establishment. It is time to earn or get out because that's what we have to do as a company. And, I mean, by get out, I mean you're not willing to try. If you're trying and you're not earning, we can always work together and work on stuff. But if you're like, eh, it's time to put up or get out. What is it? What is that from a straight talk with Dolly Parton? Piss or get off the pot? It's that time. And I, I don't want to have that conversation. I hate having that conversation. But it's a conversation I'm going to have to have. And it's a conversation my me and my partners are having constantly about where we want to go. How do we want to handle this? What are we going to stick in and take care of? But everybody's family to me. And that's the interesting part is, is Paul Klotz believes I handle somebody. And maybe, and that's what I love about Paul is he will, he never hesitates to do real talk. He, he, he doesn't say that very much, but he said it once or twice and it just became a thing for me. So I say, you know, like Paul Claus, here's some real talk. And I just, you know, do it. Uh, he has no problems doing that. And he has a different way of handling people, a different way of seeing the vision of what's going on. That's what makes him a great partner. I have a way of handling people where I believe in you. And if I resonate with you, if I believe that you're a lot like me, I'm going to talk to you like I needed to be talked to. And in that sense, it's here's you did something bad, but here's all the good shit you do. And here's why it's good. But here's the bad again. And we've got to fix this bad. And his style is different. Well, the reality is it doesn't matter how I feel about somebody. It doesn't matter if I think you're the exact clone. If you're the next coming of the rock out of podcasting, it doesn't matter how I see you. Business is business. And as I'm setting up these lines and telling you why this is why I want it this way, and I'm telling you this is the, the field that you play in, and you go outside that field, it's very much HR. It's a verbal warning. It's a written warning, and you're gone. I'll love you all day long, and I'll hope we can be friends. I will still think of you in a very friendly way. But for my business, you're out. Because like Laura DePooter said, now she has vo uh, horses. I see voices right here, but she said horses. Horses are too dangerous to have bad attitudes, to have people who don't listen, to have whining, to have just, no, you have to love what you do with horses because they're dangerous. And they're, in my opinion, being a non-horse person, they're difficult to deal with. If you're a horse person and you love them, it's an easy thing to do. But the horse person who loves brushing the horses and cleaning them and doing all the work that takes care of them and all the money that goes into feeding them and vetting them up and all that shit will be the same person who goes, oh, podcasting, oh, my God, I can't, mm, no, how do you get, how do you do that every week? How do you get on a microphone and just talk for two hours? And how do you, it's what I love. It's what I do. It's, it's who I am. So I, when you love something, it's a lot easier. I get that. Uh, yeah, okay, Laura says, learning how to take things not personally is very important. Listening to stuff like this and success freaks about being who you are and finding out what outside voices are real, that helps. Good. That's exactly one of the hearts of why I share at everything that I share is that you've got to be able to discern the good voices from the bad voices. And there's time when Klotz says something, I'm like, 
dude, that just strikes me that you're coming from a fear place, and I can't deal with fear. I refuse to deal with fear. Um, while I can acknowledge some of what you're saying, the rest of this just feels like you're scared, and I'm going to have to do it differently. And we, we give and take, and we ebb and flow. We, we work together that way. And and Brian's the same way. There's sometimes where I just come off so hard and so so fast on something that it, it hits triggers in him. And he says the same thing to me. He's like, dude, you're acting like a corporate douchebag. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay, sorry. Uh, how can I do that differently so that we can? And he and I, we, you know, we fix it pretty quickly. It's easy. But you have to have that personal investment in your employees, in your co-creators, in your team. You have to have that responsibility and that investment together f- so that they'll give you their all. So that when crunch time happens and they have to sacrifice their family for you, it's there because you've invested in them all the way along. You know, they step up and help you. One of the biggest things that happened, and there's a show, The Theft the theft of My World. It might be The Theft and Return of My World. I think I did the Superman play on that. I think it was The Theft and Return of My World. And it's where my backpack got stolen that had all my computers, all my stuff in it. Everything I do to make money was in that bag. And for years and years and years, I've been putting, investing time in people and energy in people because I love what they do. Yeah, It doesn't matter if you're a podcaster or not. I've got people who just have great, lives and i just love them and and help them out and this and that and the other and when that was gone i was like hey and then i got it back and everybody's stepping up oh we want to help you this and that the other and when i said okay here's my amazon list of what didn't make it back 99 percent of that stuff came to me and it's because of the investment in the relationships that i had that they were there for me to get my back instantly and that meant the world to me that meant everything to me because I've never had that before. I've never felt like anybody's just got my back. If I'm to fall, there's nobody there to catch me. Part of that is a real-world thing of nobody, nobody ever wanted me to trust fall because I was 300 pounds and six foot six. You know, As a teenager, I hit six foot at 14 years old. I was probably a good 250, 300 pounds. I mean, I've always been a heavy guy. Overweight, fat. I mean, I'm, there's no lie about it. There's, there's, I'm carrying more than I should on my frame. So nobody ever wanted me to trust fall. You know, there's there's lots of real world things that play into that. But then in a a metaphorical way too, I've definitely all felt like I'm always on the forefront of what I'm doing. I'm always pushing the edge. And you do get out there alone sometimes. I mean, even with Mordant with me on Success Freaks and I'm pushing the lines and getting out there, there are times when he would just fall back. So I can't do that, man. I can't do that with you. And as a human thing. And now I'm really feeling alone when I lost my job and there's some shit that happened inside of success freaks proper that ultimately broke it. I mean, that, that started the road towards where we are now. Um, was, I really felt like people pulled away from me as as difficult because they didn't know what to do. They didn't know how to handle it. And I was maybe not the easiest person in the world. I'm, there's no blame. These are just realizations of how it happened. Um, but I, I felt very alone except for with my wife because she was going through it with me. You know, it's, these are tough places to be. So you need to invest in people, invest in help, uh, invest in whatever. I'm thinking about too many things at once. I'm mixing up my words. But as a boss, let's just refine it to that. As a boss, 
You have to invest in your team. You have to want them to be better than you and to give them that time. And I got to tell you, the only time I yell at my team is when they're sacrificing their family unnecessarily. Shut up. Do the notes tomorrow, Chris Wisdom. Go spend time with your wife tonight. Go hang out with your kids today. Uh, that family first is really a big thing for me in, in my companies. Because one, it's a small company. Two, we're family. So I treat you like family. And there are going to be times when I'm going to tell the guys, you know what? I've had a lot of shit happening. I can't do the show tonight. I really need to go spend time with my wife because I haven't been able to do that in two weeks. And I need my guys to go, all right, cool. We hate last-minute changes, but we totally get what you're doing. Go forth and conquer. We got this. Because I do the exact same for them. I have actually told, I know Chris once or twice, I've told other people, I think Joe maybe, so, uh, I've told people, stop. Stop doing work for me. Go spend time with your family. I am not the end-all, be-all, and if you make me that, you'll make the same mistakes I made in my relationships. Work is never the most important thing. There has to be a balance. Family and work have to balance together, and that's why the work and personal relationships have to balance together. Your spouse, your partner, your loved one, the person who shares your life has to feel like work is investing in their life as well. That way, they, when their person, in my case, it's my wife and myself, so let me just do it that way. My wife has to feel like my podcasts are investing in her life so that when they pull me away like they did last night, she took the kids to go see Cars movie, Cars 3, because that was the time we had, and we had some free tickets, and they were the, the, the expiration was coming up on the free tickets. So it was now or never, and we couldn't do it at the time that I could go. And I had two shows to do last night. And those shows, one of those was a guest spot, which she knows helps get me out into the world and get more listeners to the show, more business to my pocket and all that jazz. So she gets that. And the other show is Pokemon Go, which absolutely makes money for the company and invests in our lives and lets us grow. So both those, she goes, well, it sucks, but, you know, I get it. And she took the family out. I missed going. She missed me going. But she understands that podcasting now invests in her life and gets us where we're trying to go. Whereas before, it was it was just not. And when you put work before everything else, as a boss, as an employer, employee, whatever, you put all that in front of your husband, your wife, girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever, you're telling them they're not important. If you put your family, your loved ones, what you want to do with them in front of your job, you lose your job because you're telling your job it's not important. What is important is finding that balance and if you try to separate work relationships with personal relationships i understand there is some separation is it can be dangerous to date inside the workplace i get that it can definitely be dangerous if you're a supervisor dating an underling that's that's a bad that can be a bad situation it definitely is played person by person because you know you break up and you're still in the same space it can be hostile it can be bad i get all that but as a whole if you invest in people and let them into your lives for this part of it, you'll get a much better thing. There were people that I invested in while I was in the office that I probably will never speak to again. I mean, if I saw them in public, like, hey, how's it going? Yeah, But I don't friend them on Facebook. I don't call them and say, hey, you want to go out for a beer? Because they were never really in my life. There are some people were some people still today. Deved still reaches out to me. You know, there's some people kind of keep up with what I do and I keep up with what they do. 
But for the most part, we don't talk to each other. We don't hang out because while we were work friends and work had great personal work relationship, our lives just went in a different direction. And there was nothing there to hold us together other than, hey, I think about you sometimes. I think you're a cool person. And that's okay. You know, that, that, that is perfectly okay. And that's how I run my company. That's how I do everything that I do. That's how I run my shows. Uh, Terry said at some point, I saw it pass by, he said that uh, he loves my interactions with the listeners and the people. Because you're important. Because, yeah, I get that I'm the celebrity. I'm the one sitting up here entertaining and doing something that maybe you as a listener can't do. Maybe you can't. Maybe you just love what I do. You know, I've always dreamed of the day that like somebody like Kevin Smith was a fan of what work I do. Because that would be amazing because I'm a fan of what he does. I love the stuff he does. I'd love for him to be a fan of what I do. When Tom Merritt, who I love the stuff he does, when he came to the first panel I ever created called Podcasting Past, Present, and Future, I created it for Dragon Con the second year that I went. It was the only panel I submitted. And, uh, uh, yeah, I think maybe I created two that year. But, I, I, no, I think it was only one. I think, I, anyway, it didn't matter. The first year I went to Dragon Con, I didn't know anybody there, didn't know how to get on panels, just kind of went and observed and learned and, and asked questions and actually kind of made a name for myself asking questions, just stepping up to the mic on almost every panel and asking a very important question to the people that related to what they were talking about. Uh, the second year I went, I made friends with the directors and uh, came in late to this one panel. And so I sat up front by the director and he hands me this note halfway through and he says, get up there and ask some questions like you do. I'm like, okay, all right, uh, all right. I gotta, and so I did. I stood up and asked a question. But, but I made a name for myself doing that. But I made this podcasting past, present, and future and got a bunch of people on it and wanted Tom Merritt to be on it because he is a big name in podcasting. He's a big name in geek circles. He's really good at what he does. I've loved his stuff uh, since the, the BuzzFeed days. Uh, I know that he came from more of a traditional TV entertainment role into podcasting but he was born for podcasting he's so good at it and i he for whatever reason they didn't put him on the panel i still to this day don't know why he wasn't on the panel because i suggested he'd be on the panel but he was there at the panel and you know we're doing things we're talking about stuff and i said something to him you know in the audience or whatever and he said no man i love what you're doing i'm learning so much about podcasting i didn't know and it just meant so much to me because I was a fan of everything he did and never put it together that he doesn't know a ton about podcasting history or what we had to go through because he came through a slightly different route, a more professional paid route, and now does it on his own with the new tools that we have and the new abilities that we have. And it just, it did, it meant a lot. So it's, it's, it's real cool. But the fans, the listeners, the people who participate – if all I do is talk to a camera and nobody interacts, nobody downloads, nobody listens, nobody feeds back, then there's no show. There's no reason to it other than for me just to spout off. And there's plenty of podcasters who do that. And there's been plenty of times in my life I have done that. But without you, there's no show. There's no purpose. There's no connection. I guess that's what I'm looking for. There's no connection. And I've always hated shows who... Don't address your audience at all. Some do it differently. Some do just tweet. Some do Facebook groups. Some people have you write in, call in. But if you have a way to connect with your audience, that is important. Because as much as I might like what you're talking about, if I never feel like you want to connect with me, 
that you never want to connect with your audience, with your listeners. That disconnect. See, that's the opposite. That's the world we live in is there's no void. The universe hates a void. There is something there. So if there's no connection, then there's a disconnect, a disconnect there. I was going to say disconnection, but I can't. My brain won't let me. It's, it's just not It's not what I'm going for. And if there's a connection, then we're going and flowing. If there's a disconnect, then we're blocked. And if there's a disconnect, I ultimately fall away from your show and I stop listening to it. Because there's, it doesn't matter how good or entertaining you are as a boss, as an employee, as an entertainer, as anything. It doesn't matter how good you are at the one thing you do. If you fail to make the connections, nothing matters. Nothing else matters. Let's go ahead and sing Metallica because you know I am in my head. <laughs> there you go. I'm going to read these last few comments and I am going to get out of here and go spend some family time watching some Doctor Who, hopefully. Uh, here's a random comment. Who moved my cheese? I don't know. <laughs> uh, the world needs more teams like that. Everyone needs a team. There, so there's many people who don't have one. Yeah. And that's the thing. Uh, watching Halt and Catch Fire. And I'm just starting the second season. And in it, things have happened. And they made this co-op group to, to do this new thing. And I don't want to spoil too much in, in case you haven't watched it and you want to watch it. But this idea of everybody's your own boss, you know, everybody working together. That doesn't work. There has to be a team leader. Teams work because everybody works. Football teams work because you have a defensive line and you have an offensive line. And the team revolves around the quarterback. Even the defensive line revolves around the quarterback. The quarterback kind of becomes a superstar of the team. And without a great, strong quarterback, you fail. Because you need a team leader who understands all the working parts, who sees a bigger picture, and can bring that team together to do what they want to do in a universal goal, in a unified goal. You have to have a leader. And I get that most of the time I am the team leader. And I, I get it. But I fully acknowledge and pay. If I can't pay you with money or goods, I'm always paying. And even if I can't, I'm always paying you with energy and saying, without you, this team wouldn't have worked. Thank you for being bringing your flavor to this. Thank you for doing what you do. So as listeners, thank you for doing what you do, for feeding back, for doing the emails, for coming and watching live, for making all these comments that you're making in the chat room. And actually, now I'm going to bring this back to YouTube. Because I do post this on YouTube after the fact. And so that's why I have the extra chat room. When you watch on Facebook, you'll see the chat room next to the chat room. It's for the YouTube version. So here we go. And I agree with you. We, the world needs teams. The whole thing is a team. We're, no man is an island is some kind of quote from somewhere. Uh, although Paul Simon says, I am a rock. So there you go. Uh, Laura DePuter says again, we need to move. We need more people who help teach others that it's okay to stop and to be still and to take time with those who are important. The world praises busy work, busy and work, and yet that's not where life happens. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, that's the biggest thing I had to help uh, some people who are over me build a team. I'm like, if we don't get rid of this person, how do you ever expect to find the right person? But but they do so much. No, I get that. And there will be a void. But I'm telling you, it won't be there for long. The biggest thing I've ever learned was to stop doing everything myself, to leave something undone until the right person, the right time, the right thing comes along. Dr. Wayne Dyer says, and this is one of the only things I remember from his book that I read, but he says, we say yes, expect that the right people are at the right place at the right time. I love that. That's how I've lived my life. I say yes and expect that the right people are at the right place at the right time. 
I've been wanting to do come back to video for a very long time. What stopped me was I have zero desire to edit video. I absolutely can now. I'm getting better at it now. But it's, as far as being creative, it's a bore. It's a chore. It's something I hate doing. However, now I have the tools to get to the right place. I can just go back to live. And that's what I do best. It's just live and let it fly and make the mistakes and, and do all this. Angie says, when I was working with the band... In quotes, I made that mistake, and I would even say that the band came first. I learned that it was wrong. Family should always come first. I get what you're reacting to and saying there, I think. And maybe you, you changed it a little bit. Nope, you didn't change it up tight. But I got to say, it, does, it depends on the situation. It absolutely depends on the situation. Sometimes making extra money helps with the family. I know my wife encouraged me to work overtime as much as I could when I could. Because she knew there would be times that the overtime wasn't there. There would be times when maybe the hours weren't even there and we get cut back. And it's good to have the extra money now. And she always knew it was temporary. And she knew that if I worked a certain amount of overtime, I would get done with my desire to do that. And I would come home and spend extra time with her. And then the extra money would be, hey, instead of just hanging out and watching TV today, let's go gambling. I mean, that happened one awesome weekend. I'd worked a ton of overtime. And we got an overtime check. I'm like, you know what? I don't have to work for three days. Let's drive down to Biloxi. And this is four kids. So we jumped before kids and not four. Four is what I have now. This is before I had any kids. She and I jumped in my truck, you know, packed her bags, told our families where we we're going to be. And we drove to Biloxi for a couple of days and gambled and had a blast. And that's actually one of my best trips ever because not only did we pay for it with money that was extra, sure, bills were finally paid and taken care of. It was a bad time in life and I wasn't good with my money. Bills were paid. Our trip, we broke even gambling. We played bingo. I played in a poker tournament. We did all kind of slot machines. We did all kind of fun stuff. And when we walked away, we had the same amount of money in our hands than when we went there. The hotel was comped to get us there, so that was a free stay. Uh, we even covered gas money and food on the way. You know, everything was covered. We literally had the same amount of money in our bank when we stepped into that casino than when we left. And it was a great trip. It was great to do it that way. So um, there is a balance. Family should be a priority. Family should be something that you weigh heavily against. What am I doing here? It's hard, man. When you write, when you talk about the band, that's a creative thing, and it's a difficult place to be because podcasting is very much like that. Is there some sacrifices you have to make? Entrepreneurism, starting your own business at any point in time. It will consume your time. It will take a lot of your time. It becomes your focus. So being able to do that, to build the future, is a very tricky place to be with family because sometimes family wants to be the anchor and says, hey, no, pay attention to us, stay with us. And sometimes the family is encouraging to go out. But absolutely, Angie, if you say, my family's happy, they understand what I'm doing. No, this is too much. The band, in quotes, is asking for too much. I have to pull back. It will definitely help you find that balance, and that is important. Alora again says, I really like the live format. Yeah, thank you. I like hearing what other people say. The, the podcast is good, too. There's things to learn. But I like being able to ask and respond. And she says teasing joke. But what she really is doing was Angie doing. They try to poke the bear and derail the train. And, you know, kudos to you if you do that. Uh, Terry's off to camp and drink this weekend. Dude, I, I love drinking. I do. I, I said something earlier on um, one of the shows a couple weeks ago. Like, who gives a shit about day drinking? That's arbitrary. Honestly, uh, if I was in the mood, I'd have a scotch right now. However, I had a double scotch last night, and it was quite drunk. And was, well, not drunk. 
I've been drunk once in my life, and I'll share that story right before we end the show, and then we'll be out. But uh, I, I, I've grown out of camping. I've become accustomed to air conditioning. And man, when I was younger, I don't know what it was, but when I was younger, I, I would camp all the time. I could sleep on the ground. It didn't matter. It was fun. Even when I was dating my wife, uh, we went out. And even after we were first married, uh, Douglas, my buddy, my my almost real-life brother, uh, he was off at college. Uh, but I arranged with him and his family. Have a, they have 36 acres, and me and him used to go camping down there. And he and I and a bunch of people in Aaron had gone camping before. I was like, hey, you know what? If it's cool with you, I want to take my tent and go down there and go camping and, and just me and my wife and, and uh, you know, a little outdoors fun, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, and they were cool with that. So I even did that, but then we took an air mattress, and that was a lot better. But now it's I don't know what it is about camping. If you really enticed me, and it's going to be a bunch of fun people I like hanging out with, and you can convince my wife, and we can bring the kids, it is something I would do. Uh, but for some reason, just camping by you know as a whole, I'm like, eh, I'm okay. I'd rather stay at a hotel or my house or whatever. But that's. I don't know why. I, I, I always say, I don't know why that changed. It just did. But I, I absolutely love drinking and camping. Fire pits are amazing. Uh, and there's something to say. And Laura says something to say uh, the decisions and make them. They go in eight directions to the energy. Yep. Teams. Teams. Leadership. Uh, seasons of life. Yep. And then Angie says, got to go. Thank you. I will tell Aaron you said, hey. All right. So final story of the day about the one time I've been drunk in my life. I drink often. Right. And I started drinking later in life. Uh, I had my first beer at 18. It was a Coors Light. It ruined me on alcohol for a while. When I was 21, uh, I'll tell this story at a different time. But when I was 21, uh, me and my, my two friends got a, a couple of bottles of liquor and sat out in my driveway. Uh, it sounds very rednecky. It's really just to hide from my parents out in their driveway. Don't, yeah, it's the thing. Uh, we drank decently, but I didn't even get drunk then. Uh, by drunk, I mean, you know, doing stupid shit like throwing up peeing yourself out of control losing functions those kind of things um do i've definitely been buzzed i've been influ under an influence i have i have a friend of mine that uh we had free alcohol is at new media expo his name's jay soderberg and he's he's shorter as all i know he's like five foot something five foot four five foot three he's he's shorter and stocky like a football player and we'd really just met that night but we clicked instantly and we were just talking about stuff and and we're both drinking heavily. And somebody stops him. He was somewhat, I guess it kind of maybe still is, but he was somewhat famous at the time. And so people were stopping him to talk to him. And he and I are just buddies. And we're just hanging out. And apparently, according to Morden, who doesn't drink, which is good because it's nice to have a wingman who doesn't drink, who, who can help protect you. He was, like, worried about me. He almost came over and said something because I was looming because I was standing a little too close to Jay, so I'm, like, towering over him, and he never even noticed. I didn't notice. We were both drunk. We didn't notice. But whoever was talking kind of noticed and was kind of backing off, and Morton was like, man, I, was a little, I almost came and said something to you. I, I gave you a moment, and then we moved on. Well, then, because he knew Jay and I had only met that night, so he was looking out after me and making sure I didn't do anything stupid or, or anything I would never want to do if I was sober. Uh, and so we're going down. Well, somebody stopped me to talk to me, and, that, and when he saw Jay stop and wait on me, he got it. He said, okay, no, they're both, they're good. Everything's good. Yes, yeah, sorry, everybody is shorter than me. You're right. Um, but my one drunken story is when I launched the Bear Crawling. Uh, well, I was about to say the Bear Crawling Nation, but they actually, that brand came along later. It was just called Bear Crawling. And I went on my buddy's show at the time. It was called Underground Short Bus. 
And their whole thing was just rambling about whatever random shit came in their head, and they were drinking heavily. And it was, I mean, it was random. Somehow we got to talking about Hillary Clinton wakeboarding at some point. This is It was just random, stupid shit that would come in their heads. And it was fun. It was a fun experience. And me being a newbie to drinking and a light drinker at the time, I had 750 milliliters of McCormick's vodka, which is very cheap vodka. And it was mostly full. I think my wife had had a little bit of it, like enough, because she didn't like a lot of alcohol, so just enough to get buzzed on a screwdriver or something but not have too much alcohol taste in her drink. Uh, and that was about it. So most of it was still in the bottle. And I'm pouring heavy into my cup, and I have a 32-ounce cup, and I'm, mi- I'm trying to mix uh, you know, screwdrivers, basically, and this and that and the other. At one point, I realized the bottle's empty. I had no idea I'd drink in the whole bottle. And in my mind, I'm like, oh, shit, that's bad. You know, I drank the, the basically I emptied this whole bottle of vodka over an hour. So very quick period of time. And we're going along and I'm still finishing my drink and whatnot. And I remember punching my leg and I couldn't feel it. And I'm like, oh, shit, this is going to be bad. And I mean, we're just going on. And I'm the, the I am born to be a podcaster, man. Because I'm just sitting on this little couch thing. We didn't have video or anything going. So I'm just staring at the wall, talking to the guys in my headphones, and we're doing their thing, and we get to the end of the show. And one of them kind of walks off, and, other, and we're just kind of hanging out. I'm like, oh, man. Oh, man. Oh, man. And I could hear the one guy start chuckling because he knew where I was. And he was almost a blackout boy himself. He would get blackout drunk a lot on that show, which is, is, is honestly bad, but that's what he'd do. And sure enough, I start heaving. And I'm not going to make the sounds because I know some people are sensitive to noises. But I start heaving. And I'm thinking I'm trying to get to this cup. It's the only thing I had, right? Trying to get to this cup. And I'm calling for my wife who's in the shower in the other room. I'm like, babe, babe, to try to get her to help me get a trash can or something. Because I could not move. I started to sit up. I was like, oh, no, 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 no. When you sit up and the whole world turns into MC Escher as a fidget spinner, that is a bad place to be. So <laughs> I was like, there's no getting up for daddy. And I, I, I'm sitting there, and I don't know what to do. And I start throwing up. And, of course, I quickly overfilled this cup. And I, I can't remember if I, I threw up on the couch. I didn't throw up a ton, but I hear this guy laughing his ass off. And I'm like, throw up. And I'm saying the word instead of the noise because I know people are sensitive to the noise. And in between hurling, I'm like, hey, man, you still got the recording? Go tell me, tell me you're recording this. Tell me you're recording this. And the other guy came back. He's the most sober of all of us. Now, he'd been drinking, but he's the most sober. He's like, are you okay? I'm like, who gives a shit? Tell me you're recording. You know, throwing up. And he's laughing. They did. They recorded all of it. That show is gone now. I can't find it anywhere. But that they left, they put that at the end of their show, just me. So my announcement to my brand new show that was going to make my career, right, bear crawling, was me getting drunk on the air with these guys and throwing up incessantly. And and here they left in the part where I said, "Tell me you're recording. Tell me because this is I'm even laughing in between this, and they're just in tears crying. And even at the point in time we recorded a year or two later, I listened to that show and it made me cry. I was laughing so hard. So uh, that was that was me getting drunk. And then my wife did come out. She's pissed off at me, and she's cleaning me up. And she, I was like, I can't walk to the bedroom. She's like, no, you're going You're going to the bedroom. You can't, you know, this, this period. 
And so I'm leaning on her and stumbling, and she's helping me. And I'm like, I feel, I actually feel really good. I'm very happy. I am very drunk, but I want to feel bad because I realize in part of my brain, I realize that I'm a very much a burden on her, and I puked on her couch and this and that and the other. She drags me to the bathroom. I'm like, what are you doing? She's like, oh, you are not getting in my bed with that breath. That is vomit, liquor breath. It's horrible. She takes my son's Spider-Man electric toothbrush, and all I know is I'm sitting there all of a sudden, I'm like, ah, what the fuck are you doing? But I'm too drunk to fight. And so she just kind of grabs me by my hair and holds me still and brushes my teeth. And I I just was screaming about it. It was horrible. And she's like, all right, you can get in the bed. And, I mean, the world is spinning. The world is bad. And I get into the bed thinking, okay, I can lay down and everything's fine. No, it's worse. I lay down and it's spinning and it's horrible. And I'm going, why would anybody ever do this on purpose? Why would anybody ever get so drunk that this is how they feel? Because somehow I have a high tolerance for alcohol and pain. So stuff that could cripple other people mentally, uh, like drinking 750 milliliters of vodka. Obviously, I'm not driving. Obviously, I could not walk across the room myself. But my brain is still processing everything as if it were sober. It was still, you know, part of me is going, oh, shit, I'm drunk and this and that. But the rest of it is like recording this so I can learn from it. And I'm thinking to myself, as the world's spinning, why would anybody ever choose to do this intentionally to get this drunk on a regular basis? And that's it. And then I woke up the next day and I was better and I felt bad about the mess I made. Never felt stupid for it. I thought it was still, I, I felt stupid for letting it away from me. I learned my lessons. Uh, but other than that, you know, I was like, all right, it's done. So there you go. That was me getting drunk. Now I'm very much, very much a conservative drinker. Uh, I know when I hit a certain feeling, I'm going to chill out. I'm going to slow down. And I know when the feeling goes away, I can start drinking again. But it's very much a controlled buzz and where I want to be. So I hope that entertained everybody. I hope you had a fun watching today. Again, check me out, rockgodofpodcasting.com is the website. And let's see, you can email me, RGOP. Oops, started the music a little early. Sorry for that. You can email me, RGOP, at charlesmcfall.com. Just subscribe on Facebook. Hit me on Twitter. All that great stuff. I hope you had a great time today. I had a good time talking to you. And come on back next week. We'll do it again. And get those questions in. Get those questions in because I love answering to the issues that in your life or the questions that you have. Until then, go ahead and love somebody. Be good to everybody. And have fun with your life.